Who's your good girl? Who's that good girl? No, I'm not giving you one. No. Go lay down. No. No. She wants a TR. No. Of course she does. Don't get on my bed either. Go on. Go lay down. No, mom. something else I wanted to tell you, but I can't remember what it was. Oh, the weird noise. Right. Everything that happened last night. I I have no idea what happened. I, like I said, I couldn't sleep. And a little bit before 3 a.m., I just heard this really weird noise that sounded like a cat yowling. Mm-hmm. And at first I thought I was imagining it. And... Then I got up and opened my door and looked downstairs and my mom was standing there like, was that you? And I said, no, I thought it was a cat. And she said, a cat? It sounded like someone yelling. Hmm. And then dad was like, no, that was, that was Connor. And, but it wasn't Connor. And then mom opened my grandma's door and she woke up and said she heard knocking, but she went back to bed. I, I don't know. It was very weird. That is that is very weird. Have you all talked about cleansing again? No, but I've got a shit ton of incense and herbs, so. Yeah. Use some of that moon water. <laughs> yeah, it's just sitting there in a giant jar. Yeah. Okay, so no, I actually did have an update too. I had to do a little bit of research into it because... As I was listening to the recording and editing, I was like, I'm wrong, I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And you were right. Save what? a lot. Yes. The one that Herb Baumeister created yeah. was Save a Lot Thrift Store. Save a Lot yes. Food Stores was created okay. by Bill Morin. Morin? Hmm. Morin. In 1977. Ah, uh, okay. And the reason it threw me off is because for a little while, the branding was super similar similar. yeah that's all i had i wanted to correct myself so okay so um where are we this week rachel are we introducing ourselves oh yeah hey i'm rachel um no i'm not (laughs) hold on i'm grace (laughs) i'm so fucking tired wow um Uh, okay so um yes i'm Rachel, that's Grace. Welcome to our podcast. <laughs> welcome back. Wow, welcome back, everybody. It's yeah. been a week. Been a week, been a week, been a week. It's been a rough week. Rough um, week. We recorded the last episode before everything happened uh, with the Rihanna Taylor case and um, the fallout of the decision of the Brianna Taylor case and... Yeah, it's been a, a wild ride. Yep. Everybody thinks Louisville's burned to the ground. Who's not in Louisville? Um, it's it's not. We... I mean, there are some things that happened, but it's not 
that. We we are not burned down to the ground so much as we have entered this weird sort of military like police state yeah. in certain parts of the city. Yeah. And it's almost like it's almost kind of like Mad Max in, in a way. It's, in some parts. It's been so weird. I went to I I went to Meyer the other night and I, it didn't even occur to me that the store would be closing soon because there was a curfew mm-hmm. and they were rushing people out of the store, boarding up the store, and it it was it was so weird. It was being in some sort of like post apocalyptic or pre apocalyptic weird thing. I don't Yeah, and um I think that's probably the weirdest thing is the boarding up of the stores. Yeah. It well, it's not the weirdest thing, but it feels like the weirdest thing. It feels weird, especially in areas where nobody's going to come out there. They they boarded no. up shops at the Bluegrass Outlets. Yeah, no one's going out there. No one's going out of Simpsonville no. to protest. Not a single person. And what's even worse is the people who have had to take refuge in churches. Yeah. Because... While they're trying to go home for curfew, police are not letting locking them, them in, yeah. and they're having to hide in a church until it's safe for them to leave. Yeah, that's what's insane to me. I and the fact that Brianna Taylor didn't get justice. I, it's been a rough week. It's it's. Look, I can't even I can't even find words. Yeah, for it's hard it. to it's verbalize. Just, yeah, yeah, it's. We're just going to leave it there. It's. It's it's. Yes, and if anybody wants to donate to uh, the Louisville Bail Fund, <laughs> please do. Yeah. Um, wow. Um, send me that link so that we can I will. include it. Yeah, okay. uh, it'll be in the show notes. Wow. Okay. Um, hopefully. Into on to... the regular. regular on to our regularly, into the regularly scheduled, program. scheduled programming. Where are we today, Rachel? <laughs> so this week, I in particular are in. Uh, are, oh, 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 oh. So what is this place called? Varginia. Varginia. Oh, thought it was Varginia. really Vargina. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, when I was every time I was reading it, you know, I'm doing the American English pronunciation thing. I'm like Varginia. <laughs> Vargina. Ooh. <laughs> Um, Vargina. Okay. Yeah. Vargina. My brain Var- thought it would be Vargina. I... Yeah. Varginha. Varginha. My friend in Brazil is going to kill me for not being able to pronounce this. Oh, yeah, you yeah. do. <laughs> Brazil. <laughs> you should have asked. I thought about it. I thought about it. And I almost did. But then I was like, nah, I'm not going to bother him. <laughs> After this, you should bother him and ask. After this, I will. That's um, so funny. <laughs> I'm in Varginha, Brazil, and Grace is in Rio de Janeiro. Yes. So, the source for Varginha is Wikipedia because it's the only source I could find, literally. Because I did not give Rachel a specific place on where mine was until she had already written hers. Yeah. And I had yeah. already written mine. Yeah. <laughs> and 
it never occurred to me to look in the same place. <laughs> and my only source for uh, Rio is riodejanero.com. So, whoop. Farsinha is a municipality in the southwest state of Minas. I did. I literally just looked up how this pronounced. Minas Gerias. I'm so sorry, Rogerio, if I pronounced that incorrectly. Um, it is one of the major centers of commerce and coffee production in Brazil and the entire world. The city is roughly equal distance between the three largest metropolitan areas in Brazil, Bale, Horizonte, Rio de Janeiro, and Sao Paulo. The city's main drive economy-wise are agriculture, engineering, steel, car parts, and metal mechanics. And the rest of the history for that is just going to have to wait until my story. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's why I texted you and I was like, um, where's your story? <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> okay, so Rio de Janeiro does have a slightly longer history. It was... Slightly. Slightly, was ruled first by the Portuguese when they landed in Guanabara Bay, hopefully. Guanabara Bay, there we go. On January 1st, 1502. With that in mind, the name was created Rio de Janeiro, meaning River of January. Oh, okay. Yeah. Apparently the French also wanted a piece of the action in on Rio and tried to make their presence known. However, after a two-year intense war, the French left. Whoop! In order to protect the city from a future invasion, it was moved to a safer position on top of a hill, which was later named Castle Hill. Rio became prominent economically as it continued to cultivate its main cash crop, sugarcane. At the same time, gold and diamonds were found within the Minas Gerais area. I'm also, again... So, 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 so sorry for pronouncing that incorrectly. Due to <laughs> this discovery, many European countries tried to capture Rio for their own, but to no avail. The capital of the region was then shifted from Salvador to Rio in 1763 because Rio was, in fact, so hard to overtake. Okay. The economic prosperity did not last long. Entering into the 19th century... Other South American countries became competitors in the sugarcane production, and the golden diamonds began to dwindle as well. This, of course, led to an economic crisis. In order to combat that, they began exporting coffee, and the Portuguese royal family resettled in Rio. During their 13-year rule, the city began to prosper once again. Even the city began to expand to, like, its edges, like... The mm. outskirts. Brazil received independence from the Portuguese in 1889, and Rio was named the capital. At this point, the city expanded politically, culturally, economically, and architecturally. It soon became the political, economical, and cultural center of Brazil. After World War II, Rio shifted from an agricultural economy to an industrial economy. Bridges were built between important cities, skyscrapers were built, and highways developed. The population increased so quickly that laborers were in excess and the number of poor and unskilled people increased. Unfortunately, this is actually still very prominent today, and Rio is one of the most populated cities in the world. In 19- I learned that on Carmen Sandiego. Oh, did you? <laughs> yes. 
1960, the capital was moved from Rio to Brasilia and then later to Sao Paulo. Different city than Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo. (laughs) Okay. In order to reduce the economics and financial pressures on Rio. Today, it is making its presence felt in the industrial, service, and tourism sector. Some places you may want to visit when the Rona virus is over. Sugarloaf <laughs> Sugar Mountain. I did not look what? into it, but I'm assuming. Sugarloaf Mountain? It's okay. because it looks like a piece of bread. The Escadari's Celeron. And many, many of the beaches in the area. Like, the beaches are gorgeous. 100% go look at those beaches. <laughs> and that is the history. So, what is your story? Well, um, my story is about Flordelis de Souza. Okay. So, my sources are a Web24 news article by Fernando Frazao, a Reddit post by Rita Vitz with quite a few sources about this. I had to translate a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Wikipedia, two different Wikipedias. There's our Wikipedia and then different Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Yep. BBC.com, TheGuardian.com, and that's it. Okay. And a TikTok that I could not find. Of course. (laughs) Of course you use TikTok. Yes. So, before I begin, my story contains really brief mentions of sexual assault, um, and that might be triggering for some listeners. They are at the end of the story, but if you want to skip entirely... That's totally understandable. I would just skip forward 20 to 30 minutes to Rachel's story. Okay. So, Flordelis de Souza. I saw this on a TikTok a few weeks ago and immediately moved a couple episodes around so I could cover this as soon as possible. Of course. Before another podcast covers it. Of course. <laughs> who, who is Flordelis de Souza, you ask? Well, just your average gal. Uh, former Brazilian gospel singer pastor, congresswoman, and as Tumblr user Cringe Control put it, murderer and cult leader, allegedly, for legal purposes. This story. Okay. Okay. You sent me this. Okay. Yes. What I sent you was not even the tip of the iceberg. Not even the half of it, yeah. Oh my god. Uh, Let's start at the beginning. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Let's backtrack a little and start in the very beginning. I'll just say now, you might need to pay extra attention to this story because there's a lot of info and some of it may not be 100% correct because I did need to translate a lot of it and we know how Google Translate is. Yes. Flordelis was born, it's it's literally spelled... F- no, it's fine. Um, Flordelis was born in 1961 in Rio. Yes. And her father and brother passed away in a car accident when she was 14. As an adult, she became a teacher and a pastor, and during this time, she had three biological children and adopted five teenagers. Mm -hmm. As time passed, she adopted more children, had another kid, became more involved in social causes, helping kids involved with drug trafficking, prostitution, or victims of domestic violence, and eventually she adopted 37 children all at once. Making mm-hmm. the total number of children in her care, 55. 55. I can't imagine how expensive that is. 
I don't because know. Because adopting is different than frost fostering. Right. Adopting, and I don't you don't get any assistance. Well, th- okay, so that's where this actually starts getting interesting because there was a rumor that she actually kidnapped those children. <gasps> oh, okay. Because a lot of them were involved in this um, massacre or had something to do with this massacre that happened. And it's a very long story that I couldn't add. But um, so there was a rumor that she had kidnapped the children. But but by this point, she had become this really famous uh, woman. And people thought of her as this religious, good-natured, godly woman. So (laughs) the rumors only made her more famous and beloved. So famous that there was actually a movie released in 2009 based on her life. Yep. This movie starts in the the country's... Huh? I saw the preview. (laughs) Did you? I saw the preview of that movie. I was so curious. Uh, Okay, so it starred some of the country's most famous movie stars. It was was that big. And all the proceeds for the movie went to Flordellis herself so she could continue to raise children. Apparently some of the actors actually refused to be paid for it. Mm-hmm. After the movie, she approached a record label and released her first official album. She had been releasing independent records up until this point, which is why I say first official album. And she was a fucking hit. Of course. Like, people people loved that shit. Back in 2004, Flordellis applied for a seat in the Sao Goncalo, Goncalo City Council as a councilwoman, but lost. She tried again in 2016 mm-hmm. and didn't win. And in 2018, she was elected as a federal deputy for the Social Democratic Party in Rio de Janeiro and was actually the most voted for woman in the state. It's a popularity contest. Always has yes. been, always will be. <laughs> All right, let's uh, go back a little bit. One of those original five adopted children was named Anderson de Carmo. He dated one of her biological children, Simone. Mm. The relationship didn't last, and once entering adulthood, Anderson and Flordellis began a romantic relationship and got married. How is that? One, not considered pedophilia. Two, considered incest. No, no they're not, like, physically related. They're not together. Uh, I mean, they're together. They're not blood-related, and he was an adult at this point. So I guess they didn't care. I don't... It's Anyway, there were some rumors about Anderson and Flordellis being swingers, but also about the two of them and Simone, one of her biological daughters. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. There were alleged sightings of all three of them coming out of a bedroom wearing nothing but towels. Anyway, they got married in the mid to late 90s, and he became he became an evangelical pastor himself, and they became this sort of power couple, opening their own, like, church yeah. and stuff. But as if things couldn't get weirder or fucking darker, I guess, in the early hours of June 16th, 2019, Anderson Do Cormo was gunned down in the couple's garage. Oh, Flordellis and other family members gave statements in which they described being followed by two suspicious-looking vehicles on motorcycles mm-hmm. for some time. And when the couple arrived home, Anderson went to the garage to grab something, and that's when the family heard the shots. 
Okay. Flordellis told police she believed it was a break-in gone wrong, and Anderson was shot to death trying to protect the family. Interestingly, his cell phone was missing. Naturally, since a federal deputy slash congressperson's partner was killed, it was national news. Of course. With (laughs) news outlets and social media posting theories of political conspiracies, assassination attempts, and religious persecution. Because... Apparently, that's not uncommon in Brazil. Apparently, it's very, 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 very common. But that's exactly what police thought, too, that it was an assassination. Attempt, yeah. Yeah. Well, not attempt, but actual assassination, (laughs) yeah. He he was definitely dead. (laughs) (laughs) The day after the murder... (laughs) You mean he wasn't partially dead? Uh, no, no, uh, it's like that scene in Hamilton where he's like, I don't care, I'm super dead. So, um, the day after the murder, one of Flordellis' sons, and obviously Anderson's stepson, Flavio, was arrested at the funeral in connection with the murder and a previous arrest warrant for domestic violence. Hmm. By reviewing witness reports and the family's own statements, they realized that the two guard dogs weren't disturbed by an intruder, and they ordered tests for tranquilizers in their bloodstreams. They came back negative, and this, along with the amount of shots fired during the murder, around 30, by the way, mm. um, that was enough That's to make overkill. them suspect it was an inside job. Mm-hmm. Because, like, that's overkill. Way so overkill. It be, it, yeah. It's most likely personal. Yeah. Crime of passion. Sure. It wasn't. <laughs> the murder weapon was found inside the house. Oh, wait. In- mm-hmm. Yeah, inside the family home. And Flavio confessed to firing six times, but this is where the police start to realize it's bigger than they think. Flavio confessed to six out of those, like, 30-ish shots and implicated his brother Lucas in the killing, saying that he br- he brought the weapon and was in on it. And that's not even close to being all of it. Oh, my God. A few days later, one of the 55 children came forward and told police in an anonymous statement that he was in the house that night, and not only did he not hear motorcycle noises, but that he personally went down to the garage and found Flavio covered in blood standing next to Anderson's body. According to him, Flavio took Anderson's phone and gave it to Flordellis. He also told police that at least three of his sisters seemed to be involved, and one of them even offered Lucas money to commit the murder. He also admitted that he had recently heard Flordella saying, your father's time is coming, after Anderson had been repeatedly, and some say, some would say suspiciously, hospitalized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Suspiciously Very would be correct, because mm-hmm. he said he believed that Flordellis and some of his sisters were sneaking some sort of medicine into Anderson's food. Two months later, Lucas and Flavio were indicted for murder, Lucas confessed to police that Flordellis herself ordered the hit on her husband's son and that one of his sisters also tried to hire him to kill Anderson. And I wish I could say, ah, that's it and it's over, but it's not. Um, The investigators decided that there had to be more to the story and dove deeper into the family, which took a while. Well, yeah, there's 50-something of them. There's so fucking many of them. They had to look at everything, including possible motives, and honestly, there were quite a few for quite a few people. Go figure! Yeah. 
First, Anderson wanted a divorce. Mm -hmm. Despite rumors of an affair on his part, his reasoning is unknown. But I mean, I don't blame him. Not at all, no. But obviously, for multiple reasons, Flordellis did not want to get divorced. First, when they got married, Anderson took over control of the the family's finances. And if they got divorced, half would go to him and the other half would go to Flordellis and the other 54 children and grandchildren. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So... Second, they were evangelical ministers, and she'd put her entire public persona on being this godly woman for decades. Plus, she'd just been elected to a federal position, and I can't even explain how huge they were as a couple in that crowd. Yeah. So this would be a huge scandal if it got out. Because, you know, divorce, like, big no-no, especially for people so devout. Yeah, especially for them. Then we have Simone, Anderson's sister and ex-girlfriend. According to some sources, she resented him and was one of the people who allegedly tried to poison him. So that's a lot of people who would benefit from someone dying. And at least one or two of them would be able to get revenge or whatever. Yeah. During this investigation, which lasts a long time, um, and I think in November of 2019, Flordella is still working as a congressperson, by the way, yeah. despite being implicated in the murder of her husband because of some sort of diplomatic immunity that means she can only go to jail if the crime is violent and she's caught red-handed. Anyway, she supposedly gets a letter from an inmate's wife in which she's, this woman says that Lucas is telling people that the real mastermind behind the hit on their father-brother is another one of the brothers who denied the entire thing, pointing the finger at Flordellis, and the police end up ruling the letter as forgery. Mm, nice. But here's some other things that happened during this time. Investigators discover that Anderson was 100% poisoned on multiple occasions, in fact, by Flordellis and the two and two of the daughters. They found it in the bloodstream or no, they'd been gradually lacing his food with arsenic as early as May of 2018. Obviously, like, this was backed up by several recorded trips to the emergency room with symptoms like vomiting, diarrhea, profuse, profuse sweating, among others. Yeah. Whew, I'm gonna laugh. Oh my god. Further proof was found when Simone admitted to the murder-for-hire plot and poisoning charges when police discovered several Google searches made by her that quite literally say... How to poison someone. Copper cyanide where to buy. Murder online where to find. Poison (laughs) to kill people, legal and easy to get. Someone criminal where to find online, etc. Beautiful. Amazing. I'm in awe. Wow. You didn't even delete your search history. Wow. Also, oh, also, goodness. they ended up poisoning a bunch of Flordellis' children slash his siblings or whatever in the process. Like, yeah. none of them died, but they got severely of poisoned. Them. Yeah. There, so there's this big gap between December of 2019 and June of 2020 in the investigation where it was... There was no real information being released during that time. But in June, it was revealed that Flordellis and Anderson had lied on the birth certificate of the one son that was supposed to be their biological child. He wasn't even related to them. What? So then, wait, no. How? What? The mother had given... The mother... No, the mother had given him to them. 
on the no. day she gave birth, and they just faked the birth the birth certificate. Okay. On August twenty fourth, twenty twenty, Flordellis was denounced denounced by the public ministry of the state of Rio de Janeiro for the death of her husband. On the same day, the civil police, together with the MPRJ, which I don't even know what that stands for, so don't know. Arrested nine people linked to the murder and searched the family home, seizing potential evidence and assets. Another source that I think was more recent said that, like, 11 people total had been arrested, eight of the 55 children, one of the granddaughters, two of the couple's close friends, and Dallas. Like, the charges... I know, the charges range from, like, planning the hit, forging the letter, attempting poisoning, murder, and hiring someone to commit murder... I, wow. Once Flordellis was formally charged, the amount of people who came forward about, like, the weird shit that happened in this family was staggering. The, and this is what drew me to the case in the first place, because... How weird the, fam- how weird the family was? <laughs> yes. Because the couple apparently treated the first, like, five to eight children wildly different than the others. They were even called, like, the first generation or the A-kids and were given better rooms and food while the other, like, 47 to 50 were the B-kids. Like, B-kids. Yeah. And were only allowed to eat foods like leftover, like, or, like, old pasta and bread and rice and beans and, like, sometimes macaroni and hot dogs. Like, that's it for most of their lives. Oh. And they allegedly kept the fridge with all the good food upstairs with the first generation. You should y- yes. not be allowed to have children if that's it how you're going to stop treat there. Them. It does not stop there. One of Flordellis' non-biological sons accused her of going to his room to sexually abuse him, as well as offering her daughters to have sex with him as a welcome gift to the house. That's just creepy. It's disgusting. Yeah. And another another cultish aspect of the story is that another witness came forward. He wasn't one of her children, but someone who lived with the family for a time. He told police that the family had starved him, leaving him in a room for seven days, wearing all white clothing, and he all he could do was pray. He also alleges that Flordellis sexually abused him as well. The mm-hmm. witness alleged that in another instance, he witnessed Anderson ask Floridellis if he could have relations with another one of her daughters. And according to this witness, she agreed, and he did so against this daughter's will. The source that I got this from said that the witness himself says that he has been treated for schizophrenia in the past six months. Yeah. So that it sh- this should be taken with a grain of salt, but also I'm not going to discount someone's experience because they might or might have schizophrenia you know what does make me less inclined to believe that part is that i couldn't find anything else about this witness on any other source so it very well could have been someone who's just trying to get their 15 seconds of of fame no like no i literally only found one or two sources that even had this information and everything else that i could find there was nothing about that okay uh that tumblr post that i found also said some stuff about a an initiation process that sounded similar to what that witness described, but in that instance, it was one of the adoptive sons, and it also mentions the family using their own blood to write psalms, and that he was purified from the mundane world by sleeping with Flordellis, 
And again, I couldn't find any other source um, mentioning this. Yeah. So in all, the police think about 20% of the family may have been involved. Floridellis herself is charged with five crimes. Triple qualified homicide for, for an awful reason, cruel means, and impossibility of defending the victim. Criminal association, ideological falsehood, and use of false documents. For the poisoning, um, she's being charged with attempted murder. Good. And it's still unfolding. And that's as far as it is. So that is my story. And we are going to keep you up to date. And yeah, I'm going dang. to reach out to my friend in Brazil. And yes, see if ask he can him give us, he knows. Yes. See if he can give us any like details that might not be in like the public public to like American public. But like, yeah. Right. And especially because I could only find a certain amount of articles. And they all seem to repeat the same information other than... Um, I did find one that said that one of the witnesses in this case had a bomb um, planted in her front, like, in front of her house. Ooh, that's sketchy. Scary. Luckily, nobody was hurt, but... Yeah. Um, so there's definitely some interesting shit still happening in this case. I just couldn't fit everything, because I... This is literally seven pages. Yeah. And I... It was, like, close to midnight, so... That is, oof, I can see why you stayed up so late to do that, because I remember when you sent me that, and I was like, oh, wow, this is really I know. This is super I like, fascinating. It instantly went on my to-do list, because I, I, I hadn't heard anything else about it, and I wanted to do it before other people, <laughs> before, before someone else did it, Yeah. Yeah, no, that a makes couple weeks sense. ago, we released um, an episode that was timed really similar to when another podcast released a similar episode, so... And that's hilarious, because you found out, and I haven't listened to... I really... I haven't listened in any podcast in about two, three months now. Yeah. Because I don't... When I don't have time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that... Yeah, it's really funny to me. I don't know. It's okay. also interesting seeing how they cover different stories because it's yes. almost never the same as how, like... How we cover it we or do how them. someone else yeah. covers it. Exactly. It's always different because it's always how someone else may perceive the information. Right, and what they might find and what different links they might think of. Yes. So, yeah. It's interesting, yeah. Okie dokie. Okay, tell your story. Sorry. My story, Yes. My story this week is, of course, in Virginia, Virginia, whatever we're going to pronounce it. I'm so sorry. I did look it up. It didn't help. Rosario is going to be like, I know. He's going to be so mad. I'm sorry. So my story is the Varshinia UFO incident. While I didn't go back and re-listen to the episode, I do want to include it in my sources. I first learned about this particular case because of the podcast and that's why we drink you know i love that podcast it's the first podcast that got me listening to podcasts Mm -hmm. um it's episode 130 but just just the way that m told the story i was like man this is so interesting and i think it was about a year ago that i listened to the podcast this episode in particular so i don't really remember what all was said I will also not remember it, so that is okay. Good, okay. 
So my other sources are um, a book I found online titled UFO Crash in Brazil by Dr. Roger K. Lear. This is a 117-page ebook that is a thorough investigation of this particular in- incident. Oh, cool. I did not even get through all 117 pages. I skipped through a lot of it because it wasn't really relevant. It was just telling mm. his, like, what he was doing and how he was going about finding the information. But it was a really decent book, so I highly recommend it. Google it. You will find it. It's a little PDF document from DocShare. You're all good. The other sources I didn't use so much. I really f- use this ebook mm. a lot. But they are alienresearch.fandom.com, surveillancevideo.com, and wikiwand.com. So let's just dive right in headfirst. On the morning of January 20th, 1996, the Brazilian Fire Department, which unlike the fire departments here in the U.S., are part of the military. Super oh, really? Yes, they're part of the military. Not run by, like, you know, young fire volunteers, actual mm-hmm. paid military personnel. So they're trained for everything. They received a phone call regarding a wild animal near the Jardim Andere district. A team was dispatched out there where they found a man, a woman, and three boys who were between 12 and 14 years old. They had been walking by the area when they noticed a strange creature going down the steep embankment into the wooded area. The young boys, as the source said, boys being boys, um, began throwing stones at the creature to see what reaction that they could get from it. But the women, of course, forced them to stop, and they claimed that there was no reaction, like, whatsoever. The firemen then informed them to leave the area as soon as possible. They, of course, complied, thinking that this must mean it's a very dangerous animal. Which, Mm. let's be honest, you're in the forested area. If you don't know what's out there. Yeah. (laughs) The firemen then went down the embankment and into the forest in search of the creature. The path they took was very treacherous due to the hilly terrain, and especially since they were carrying things with them. Mm. Like, they weren't going unarmed. With an unknown creature. No. No. (laughs) It took the firemen two hours to capture it, and once captured, it gave little resistance and seemed to actually be, you know, kind of dizzy, foggy, non-coherent. Well, coherent, but not really. You know what I mean. Discombobulated. Yes, discombobulated. The creature was put in a cage and eventually sent to the U.S. So, they actually got the creature? They got the creature. They got the creature. I'm not used to this. This is throwing right. me off. Right. This can all be backed up by literally hundreds of witnesses due to new homes being built in the area at the time. Huh. But no one got a straight view of the creature and what it looked like. Mm. Later that day, about 2 p.m., a civilian jogger noticed several military personnel carrying light automatic rifles and sidearms moving along the railway. Ooh, did it escape? No. Oh. One thing I should mention is this civilian jogger is an ex-military person. Okay. So he knows it's weird these guys are carrying firearms, but it's like super weird these guys are carrying firearms. The soldiers then walked up a hill and inspected a small grove of trees along the railroad tracks. 
not seeing whatever they, they were looking for, they headed back in the opposite direction and fanned out in a V formation into the wooded area. Mm-hmm. The jogger then continued what he was doing, and about two minutes later, he heard three distinct gunshots from what he thought was a rifle. He became curious and turned back to jog towards the militia with a gun. Yeah, I don't... Uh, no, not doing that. Nope, bad I don't choice. blame him. I'm gonna, say, I'm gonna say it. I don't blame him. I don't blame him either, but also bad choice. Don't go towards the shooting guns. Go Definitely away. bad choice. However, um, <laughs> with his background... True. What's his background? He could with probably his background, easy... I don't blame him. If it was like yeah. me, <laughs> I'd, I'd be like, oh, honey, no. If it was no. literally a civilian jogger and not an ex-militia civilian jogger, <laughs> yeah. then no. Okay. It was at this point that he noticed army trucks that were not there the first time he passed. Ooh. He then saw the soldiers struggling back up the embankment, carrying two canvas bags over their shoulders. Two of the men carried a bag each, and the other two shared a bag which seemed to be moving. These were then heaved into the back of the awaiting truck, and obviously this witness was credible because he himself was ex-military. Right. Like, he's not gonna... No. I mean, he could, but no. That would ruin his career. This. Oh, he's ex-military. It's true. This was also confirmed by others who saw the exact same thing, though. That's wild. Later that night, three girls were walking home from work. Uh, They decided that since it was getting late and kind of dark out, I guess, I don't don't know, they decided they would take a shortcut through a vacant lot to cut some time out of their daily travel home. That's absolutely when you should not take a shortcut. Yes. The three girls were Katia on. Andrade Xavier, who was 22 years old, and sisters Valkyra and Lillian Fatima Silva, 14 and 16. As they were passing through the lot, they happened to notice a very strange creature crouching by a concrete block wall. They initially felt that the odd humanoid creature was hurt and in pain, but this didn't make them any less afraid. They turned and ran towards their houses, which were actually relatively close. Um... But they thought that this creature was the devil. <laughs> well, well. They, the devil. The sisters ran into their mother's arm screaming, and at this point, the mother went to a neighbor's house, and the two women then went to the spot where the girl saw the creature. Unfortunately, it, it wasn't there anymore. That's su- that's very surprising to me. Yeah. Like, if it was hurting... went and checked. No, it's surprising to me that they went and checked because I feel like every time you hear stuff like that, they're like, yeah, okay, whatever, you saw something, Well, I think it's because the girls really weren't sure what they saw and that they were so hysterical. Oh, so it could have been like there might be like a a man bleeding out in this parking lot for all we fucking know. Right, right, yeah. Um, So the only thing left that they could see was a footprint in the soft, long grass where the creature had been crouching. But their mother really didn't pay any attention to the footprints. I mean, why would you? No, why would you? Um, During teary-eyed interviews, the ladies all told the same story and described the same thing. It was a four to five foot tall humanoid creature with dark brown, oily, greasy skin. 
It had a short neck and a large head. There was no hair on its body, like, at all. And the eyes had no pupils. What? (laughs) It had a small nose and a mouth, as well as three horn like items protruding from its head which is what gave the girls the impression that it this was the devil yeah i could see that katia the oldest said that the creatures seemed to be in a stupor and made no noise that same day apparently the two sisters mother had also seen the alien creature when she went to the park at 4 p.m so like before the girls even saw it she saw it (laughs) I like how she didn't report anything. She was just like, oh, like, that guy's ah, weird. Ah, does it matter? Does then, it matter? And then she was like, oh, you know what? I think that might have been the guy I saw earlier. He was pretty weird. You know, it could yeah. have been that one homeless man. I wonder. I, hmm. Um, she could this also- be the same three-horned, uh, uh, oily-skinned creature I saw earlier? Or is that a different one? <laughs> Um, she also reported that there was a strange smell. However, when she was asked later about it, she completely denied it. Like, no, that wasn't me. No. I don't blame her. (laughs) Especially because one rumor that pairs, like, really well with this case is that Mrs. Silva reported that four Brazilian men in white and cream-colored Armani suits visited her. What? Like the Brazilian version of Men in Black. Except it's the Men in White. But it's the Men in White. I... (laughs) I dig it. Okay. They supposedly offered her a lot of money to say that her daughters lied about seeing the creature. I'd take the money. Right. (laughs) Her (laughs) husband was at work when they arrived, so there isn't anyone who can actually validate this information. But supposedly, they claimed that they would be back with cash for her before they drove off in a navy blue 1994 Lincoln Continental. That's so specific. It's so specific. Um, Also interesting to note, Lillian and her mother both suffered a cold-like illness after the incident. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. That same, this all happens on the same day. Mm. <laughs> At around six in the evening, there was a violent hailstorm, which was super odd for that time of the year, because this is like um, this summer for them. There's oh, no okay. reason for a hailstorm. Virginia, Virginia was hit bad. Windows broke, windshields, and cars broke, and all sorts of other damages were, you know, accumulating around town. Mm. It also resulted in the destruction of any and all evidence that... Is it just me or does that sound weirdly similar to Mothman? It does. Okay. It also resulted in the destruction of any and all evidence that the creatures the girls saw may have left. During the storm, two military police officers saw a creature similar to that of the three girls... According to their eyewitness testimony, the creature was limping across the street in, a, in very apparent distress. The officers pulled their car over to the side of the road, and one of them got out of said car and then ran to the creature. It did not resist the help as the officer help, literally helped it into the back seat of the car. They then made a stop at one of the mother's houses where the officer apparently told her that he would be working late. 
and asked if she could inform his wife. I mean, I'm, I'm glad they're keeping their wives in the loops. Where the creature was picked up was apparently really close to where the three girls had seen their creature. Okay. Going based on that, it's pretty likely that they were one and the same, especially since it was limping. Yes, especially yes. since the one they saw was was obviously, like, physically in pain. Physically in pain and slightly distressed, yeah. The officers then took the creature to a medical facility where it was examined, and they were told little could be done to help it. They were advised to take said creature to an actual hospital, and they then drove to a spa. A spa. They drove to a spa. I, I was like, they <laughs> took it to a spa? <laughs> no, they then took it who, to a small hospital known as Hospital Regionale. In the book okay. uh, by Dr. Roger Lear and his team, they were somehow able to find someone who worked at that hospital who was willing to speak to them about what they saw. Okay. Good for us. Apparently, you know, military personnel isn't odd in the hospital, and nothing was really out of the ordinary until these two people went into surgery. Hmm. Where they first saw the head of the creature. While the creature's head was humanoid in shape, it was entirely way too large in proportion for the rest of its body. Okay. Particularly the head. Gotcha. Yeah, particularly the upper head. Oh, okay. Was, like, it was so large that it did not make sense how its neck could hold up its head. Super spine. It had a super spine. Um, the skin was dark brown and shiny as if it were wet or oily, but it was dry to the touch. There were large scales on it, but when you touched it, like, it was smooth. There were none of those ridges that come up if something has a snail. A snail. A snail? A snake. (laughs) A snake, yes. A scale. If something has a scale, you know, normally you feel a slight ridge where the scale, like, overlaps the other. There was none of that. It also had three bony protrusions coming from the top of its head. Which would be the three horns that those girls saw that made them think of... That made them think. That made them think that it was the devil. I don't know who told them that the devil has three horns. Three horns, yeah. Its eyes were large and slightly upturned and deep red in color. There were no ears, only small openings that looked like the ear canals. And... What they thought was its nose were just... Two very small, slight, or slight, slits, like, in the skin. Voldemort. Definitely Voldemort. Okay. And it had, you know, a slight ridge where, like, the nose, like, slightly upturned. Huh. Yes. Its neck was narrow, and, like I said before, it appeared to not be able to support its ginormous head. Um, its torso was thin with no noticeable muscles and ribs showing through. It had no breasts, areola, or nipples. And no navel. What? Its legs were apparently very muscular and, again, out of proportion with its body. The foot was narrow and flat. The toes had no nails and appeared very, um, like, growthish. Oh. Yeah. But they were toes, so I don't know. Okay. 
it had a vestigial appendage that was like a finger that uh-huh. ended in a claw. And um, it was at like the calf. So picture. like like how um, so like a cat like or a, a dog. claw, but a, but like yes on the back of your calf. Yes, exactly. That's wild. Yes, and they later found that this helped the creature when it walked. Huh. Um, the arms were thin with no muscle, and on both hands it had four long fingers, no thumbs. What? <laughs> the reason this creature was brought to the hospital was due to the break in one of its legs. The bone was literally sticking out completely. Ooh. The doctors were easily able to correct the break even without a stabilization device which is so frequently used on human surgeries where the bone is literally out of the leg but it's like when they popped the bone in it just stuck it just like fused and was good it just fused yeah it was good huh um but of course they were afraid to give it any type of anesthetic in case it would cause harm to the creature right because like they don't know what the heck it is they don't know what it they don't know where it came from. They don't know if it came right. from a different planet, if it had a different atmosphere. No. So at one point, the room began to fill with a greenish gas. And when oh, they started <laughs> Oh yeah, it farted. No. Um they they inspected the area, they couldn't find any outlying sources before they realized it was coming from the creature. So the doctor then began checking it over when Without realizing it, they were locked into the stare of the creature where it proceeded to share information telepathically. Oh my. A doctor said this? A doctor. A doctor said this. Okay. The creature told the doctor that he felt sorry for the human race for two reasons. That humans had the same potential and abilities to do what his race could do, and that we couldn't do it. Fair. And second, that we didn't realize we were spiritual beings living in temporary shells, but that we were totally disconnected from those spiritual selves. Which I do kind of agree with. That's an interesting take. It, it is an interesting take. And I kind of agree with it. <laughs> so, okay. when the surgery was complete, the creature actually healed really well, like within less than 24 hours. And... When the military vehicles came to pick the creature up, it was in satisfactory medical condition, which meant that it was alive and all vital signs were normal and well. That being said, um, on January 22nd, the creature was removed from the hospital by military personnel and taken to a larger hospital called Hosp- Hospital Humana- Humanitaeus, I think. <laughs> 18 hours later, military vehicles could be seen gathering at the back door of the hospital. According to eyewitnesses, a small box was then seen being placed on the back of a flatbed truck and the body then placed within it. Oh. The trucks were then off for an army training base called Escola de Sargento das Armas, which was 25 kilometers from Varsinha in the town Tre Corcoas. I hope so. Corcoas. The next day, the corpse was then taken to Campinas in Sao Paulo State, where it was delivered to another military unit. It was then moved to University's Campinas. Apparently, the body was then autopsied by Dr. Badam Palheras, who was known for his autopsy of German Nazi criminal Joseph Mengele. I'm sorry, he, he what? He autopsied 
famous German Nazi criminal Joseph Mengele. Interesting. And he also autopsied the alien body. Okay. So, one thing that also seems super similar is that almost everyone who got in contact with this creature was sick shortly after with Ebola-like symptoms. That is so weird. Some even passed away as a result. One of the police officers, for instance, who saved the creature off the side of the road. That's wild. There was also some very unusual deaths of animals in the local zoo, but I'm not going to get into that because two reasons... That's very sad, and I tend to get more sad over animals than people because I'm a psychopath, and... You're not a psychopath. This is getting really long. (laughs) So, okay, guess, guess what? Guess what? What? While there have been sightings of a creature, there was also sightings of the craft that apparently crashed beforehand. Shut up. Yes. One of the testimonies is from an elderly couple who were working as farmhands. They reportedly saw a UFO at 1 a.m. on the morning of of January 20th. What year was all of this? 1996. Oh, wow. That's extremely recent. Also recent, but also so long ago. Yes. Yes. They were startled awake by the noise of... (laughs) bellowing cows okay they of course jumped out of bed to see what the noise about because if something was attacking their cows they had to do something Mm. to their surprise the animals were in a state of complete and utter disorientation Mm -hmm. they were running back and forth and some even running around the outside of the house i've never seen cows act like that right cows don't really run they just kind of go Dude, they just mosey. They're moseyers. <laughs> Unless they're, like, really scared, and then they run. But even even then, not in, like, a really yeah. discombobulated, well, random way. Right, especially full-grown cows. Like, yeah. calves, yeah, they'll play. They'll do that back and forth, whatever. Especially, like, but the f- jumping or weird yes. stuff like that. But full-grown cows will not. Yeah. If, if anyone knows any differently, of course, tell us, but I have neighbors who have cows and I've never seen cows just willy-nilly running all over the place. Enrico was the first to look up into the sky where he, where he saw a long grayish object slowly flying through the air over the field. It apparently looked like a flying submarine that was the size of a small bus. Hey. Very, very specific. Then Orlina saw the object. She told investigators that it was floating roughly five meters above the ground. Hmm. She also claimed that there appeared to be smoke or vapor coming out of the object. Oh. They both agreed that the object had no lights and made no, no noise. It was absolutely silent despite the bits and pieces that were mangled and hanging off of it, swinging like clothes in the wind. While the two did not actually see the crash, they knew that it was pretty much imminent. Yeah. Researchers believe that that the damage done to the object was due to an explosion of some sort. The same explosion that may have dropped off some of its crew close to the woods in the Jardim Andera area. It's also noted that an American civilian 
so like a tourist, I don't know, mm. happened to see the same cigar-shaped object being loaded onto a flatbed truck the following morning. Okay. So if, um, I don't know if you remember or not, but the forest near this area is where one of the creatures was caught later that day. Yeah. yeah. Many of the locals actually relate the strange, the strange creatures to the unidentified object because why wouldn't you? Believing that they may have come from the crashed objects. Another individual, a college student named Hildo, I spelled the name so wrong, Liko, also claimed to have seen one of the creatures. He had opened his bathroom window to the side of very same creature with oily dark brown skin crouching in the alleyway. He said that it had really small hands with three fingers, wore no clothing, and had no hair, and that it was about four to five feet tall. So all of these people are literally seeing the exact same creatures. It just really throws me off that this thing is hairless because for the first half of the story before you said it was hairless, I was really imagining like a hairy little dude running around (laughs) and now my mind just immediately went naked mole rat. Yes, it's a naked mole. It's the naked mole rat alien. Naked mole rat alien. That's yes. That's title. That's the title. Um, unfortunately, when he called out to the creature, it ran away. Many extensive investigations have been have been done on this incident. One of them being that of Dr. Roger Lear, who, like I said, the book what he wrote was my major source. Right. However, none of these investigations are considered conclusive. This incident did, however, spark the tourism industry in Barshinia. The city now proudly features UFO merchandise in the local stores, such as cute little gray aliens and football jerseys. And in 2001, a UFO-shaped water tower was built. Apparently, they even built bus stops in the shape of flying saucers and spaceships, which just is super cool and cute to me. That's so cool. And even as of April 2020, a face mask was put on one of the local monuments of the aliens as part of a COVID-19 public health campaign. Nice. Super nice. This incident has also been featured in many movies, TV shows, and podcasts, like I said earlier. Um, I definitely stumbled upon a few other podcasts who covered this, but I did not listen to them. So sorry, guys, if you listen to them, please let me know. But I probably will listen to them just because of how much I found on this, and I really want to know what the others found. I really want to know how they perceived the story. And you said they covered this on, um... And that's why we drink. I don't remember this at all. I remember it because it was... This must have been... This must have been one of the ones I zoned out on. Probably. Because I don't remember that at all. Probably. It's because I think when... I don't remember it specifically, but I remember M talking about the girls stumbling upon the alien and it was crouching. And that's all I remember from it. I don't remember that either. That's that's a, I, that's a wild story. But I got all the information from that one book by Dr. Ro- Roger Lear. And mm. it was just, it blew my mind away because I knew none of that before. Yeah, I... I don't know. I've never heard of this, I swear. It's wild. I thoroughly enjoyed doing the story, like, so much. Yeah, that was a good one. It is great. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Myths and Misfortunes. Or Twitter at Myths Misfortune. Or you can search for us using our full name, Myths and Misfortunes. We do pop up. 
You can also send us an email to mythsandmisfortunes at gmail.com. Also, please, please, please check out our website, mythsandmisfortunes.com. Our theme was created... Well, nope. <laughs> <laughs> our theme music was composed by McKean Fulbright, and our art was created by Heather Marie Atkins. Their websites can be found in the description below. And we have come to the time where I implore you to rate, review, subscribe. This is the thing now. This is only how I will talk to you at the end of the episode. When we are requesting that you rate, review, and subscribe. Yes. Yes. Okay. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye.